Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brendan Bolin, and today I'm joined alongside my partner, Angelo Carriero. It's just going to be a two-man show today. How you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, man. Uh, Mr. Ed Hunt was too busy for you and I, so I guess that we were given the reins to this magnificent show, and we are going to have a fun show. I mean, how dare he, man? I don't, I don't think anything's more important than Blitzcast, baby. But no, uh, Ed's, Ed's taking care of some interviews for us, so you know Ed's always at work. But I'm, I'm excited to be able to get into it with you today, Angelo. We're gonna, like you just said, we're gonna have a fun show. It's kind of, it's gonna be a little similar to the last show we had. We're going to go over some day three highlights. We're going to go over some notable trades from that day three. And then we're going to get into our uh, overall winners of the draft. We'll do like a little, um, like a draft of, you know, our winners and losers. So uh, I'll I'll give you the reins to start on that. And, you know, once we get there, we could get into a little bit more depth how that's going to work. But if you don't have anything before we get started, we could get right into our day three highlights, my friend. Well, the only thing that I would say is that you can follow me at Angelo Media Lex on Twitter and be sure to stick with NFL Draft Blitzcast because it's not ending here. We're actually going to go through the divisions over the next couple of weeks and kind of rank one through four in the division, which which drafts we thought were the best, which ones we thought were the worst, give overall, you know, winner of, you know, the two divisions that we will do. And then, Brendan, we are on to 2023, man. I got to tell you, uh, last night, with we know how we have our position groups we study. I've already got an initial 101 board oh. for the 2023 draft. Okay, interesting. Yeah, like you, like Angelo just said, folks, just because the draft's over, draft season is not over for us. It's it's year round, and the next few weeks we're going to be covering that dra- uh, this you know, current draft. And I am super excited to get into that 2023 class because boy, that is talented. That that might be, you know, the QB class of, of the next few years, Angelo. I'm super stoked to get into that. But um, my, my personal Twitter handle is uh, Bolin Brendan. So feel free to give me a follow. You know, all of us are, like I mentioned in the last show, we're always open to talk about football. So don't uh, don't be afraid to reach out. And then our actual um, together NFL Draft Blitz is just NFL Draft Blitz on Twitter. So and Brent and Brendan, it's a bowling with an E or an A. It is with an A. Thank you, Angelo. No problem. All righty, my friend. Well, without any further ado, let's get right into these day three highlights, my friend. I think the biggest surprise of all, and I know I know how you feel about this guy. So I could not imagine how you were feeling on day three when <laughs> Mr. Bailey Zapp was taken before Sam Howell. I mean, personally to me, I think it's absurd. Uh, we had our show where I talked about Sam Howell and I saw, thought that he was the most underrated quarterback of this class. And if I'm not mistaken, he was your quarterback number one, correct, Angelo? He absolutely was my quarterback number one. Uh, so the fact that I just can't comprehend, you know, number one, why are the Patriots taking a quarterback in round four when they still have, you know, legitimate needs on the defensive side of the ball? Meanwhile, in my opinion, they're not even taking the best quarterback available. I understand that Sam Howell's maybe you somebody view as a potential starter, but going to the Patriots, Bailey Zapp's never going to really have that opportunity to start. But Sam Howell in the fifth round to me is absurd, Angelo. It's absurd. 
to you is that is is that the future of Washington and did he deserve to go in round five no I think everything that we saw out of his college career and the ability that he had overall definitely showed a quarterback that deserved to be taken higher now does that mean he should have been taken in round one I'm not going to say that. I thought that he was a round one quarterback. But one thing, and we'll get to this later, that we learned is that quarterbacks that aren't particularly big and don't have outstanding traits tend to drop, and that's just really what I learned from Sam Howell. But I always thought that Sam Howell had the requisite amount, like requisite arm strength, requisite, maybe not top tier in anything, but I thought he was really well-rounded overall. So to see him drop to the fifth round, not not going in the third round with Desmond Ritter and Malik Willis, not even going in the fourth round where Bailey Zappi was, I mean, I I just I couldn't particularly understand it, especially with the buzz that we were hearing that he was getting pushed up draft boards over the last couple weeks before the draft. It's it's pretty perplexing to me. However, I do feel like he went to a perfect spot in Washington. Because Carson Wentz's contract, you're able to get out of it out of, after this year. They obviously identified as Sam Howell as someone worth taking and bringing in. But because they didn't really... Now, they did have the top pick of the fifth round. I don't... I think they may have acquired that. I'm actually looking right now. I believe they acquired see, it from Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. They, yeah, it was from Jacksonville through Carolina. Mm-hmm. So they did acquire the Howell pick through a trade. But... To get to the top of the fifth round, I mean, I, I've seen other times in the draft where a team trades up for, for a, a quarterback in that range. I think Brett Hundley was one with the Packers, where the Packers traded up to get Hundley in the later rounds. And, you know, other than a couple spot starts and signing a okay contract in Seattle, I believe it was Seattle, Niz's career didn't really go anywhere. So overall, I would like to say that Sam Howell is the future and I think there is a world where if Carson Wentz gets hurt and Sam Howell comes in and plays well, we could see a Davis Mills type mm. of scenario. But with the draft slotting, I'm afraid that Sam Howell's career, unless he gets an opportunity early on, is truly just going to kind of go by the wayside. And for a guy that was so outstanding his first couple of years and not even particularly terrible his junior year, I was really I was really down to see that that happened and I, it really made me rethink of maybe not what not what I like but if this is how NFL evaluation is that I'm missing a mark on something in terms of NFL projection. At this point I can't really even decide what okay I feel like we know what NFL teams want in a quarterback but this draft kind of proved to me you know we we think we know these things but at the end of the day we really don't. So to me, Sam Howell was a guy that had you know, late second round talent, like 110% had late second round talent. And I, I almost question if if that last junior season went any differently, would would he have been able to be to shoot himself up in the second round? I don't know. I really don't know because if we're if they were viewing Malik Willis as a third round guy and Kenny Pickett as the only first round guy, uh, I I just I don't know where the market would sit for Sam Howell would be. Um, and then for Bailey Zapp to be picked before him was just mind-boggling to me. I mean, Bailey Zapp had an awful senior bowl. Yes, he is. Yeah, it broke Joe Burrow's record for the most passing touchdowns uh, in college football at Western Kentucky. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it, Angelo. Uh, I think Bailey Zapp was probably one of the most overrated quarterbacks in this class. And for him to be quarterback number, what was it, quarterback three off the board, 
is is just mm-hmm. mind-boggling to me. Let alone no, he was court. I, I think he was no. You, I think he was quarterback four because you had Pickett, Ritter, Willis. But yeah, to yes, be sir, quarterback yes, four. I mean, that still to me is just that's absolutely unreal. And I can't wrap my head around. I'll get into that later. But I can't wrap my head around why that was the pick for the Patriots. You know, needing having other positions of need. But I think the the whole Sam Howell situation was one of the biggest. Uh, storylines, uh, regardless of days of the draft, Sam Howell going in the fifth round was just mind-blowing to me, and I think it was pretty uh, pretty undeserving. But with, with how we've seen that teams view the quarterbacks of this class, I guess it's not too much of a surprise. I mean, I would be a lot less surprised if Bailey Zapp just so happened to go in the fifth after him or something like that. It's it's just it's unique to me, man. And Bill, I, I think that... Well, let me let me get in here real quick. Um, I, I think we're... we're the one thing is, is do I agree that Bailey Zappi should go ahead of Sam Howell? Absolutely not. I, I don't agree with that. I do think that the Patriots, when they draft people, like they overrate players or they do this, I do think the Patriots do the best job in picking players to fill roles. Mm-hmm. Do, but I think that the only flaw in that is, is projecting health. I think that's the only thing where that becomes a problem. Like, why not go BPA all the time? Well, it becomes hard to retain players, and you're always have to cycling through where where they take Bailey Zappi, and then they took two running backs mm-hmm. after having already found Stevenson last year. It, it's one of those things where they're drafting people. Like, Zappi, they, they know when they bring him in, you are going to be our backup quarterback, and this is the job you can have for a very long time if you'd like. But you have to prove to us you can be, and Mac is the clear starter where if Howell comes in, you know, maybe things get uncomfortable in New England and that's not good for their organization. It's it's like employing, you know, some some hot shot young model and the older models there, and even though Mac Jones and, you know, Zappier are about the same. But it's it's kind of the, that thing where it's like, oh, well, we just, you know, got her. So it, it's just like one of those situations. I think they very specifically identified Zappi as a backup quarterback, but still – you would think that you would want Howell if that was the case or or, or something. I, I, I mean, like you said, I don't get it. Uh, the only thing there, too, on top of what makes it you, – you know what's funny, Brendan? What's that? Not only did they pass on Sam Howell, but they traded Matt Corral mm-hmm. in the process. The Patriots got the Panthers' 2023 third-round pick uh, for – for the fourth round, third round swap with the Panthers, so the Panthers got Corral. So not only did they pass on Sam Howell, they passed on Matt Corral to draft Bailey Zappi. I, I don't get it. I mean, if it's something... I heard the shock in your mouth, by the way. Like, I heard <laughs> that you just went... Like, your brain broke. I mean, Like, you don't understand the draft anymore. Or at least the Patriots. Right, dude, like, that's I... what they do. This is what they've been doing for years. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey, maybe they're like, hey, let's be friendly to some teams. Let's give them an opportunity to get their starting quarterback of the future. We'll just take Bailey Zappi to to for backup. But no, I mean, it, it's I it, it has to be a schematic thing because absolutely, it's obviously not best player available. You know, regardless of you know, yes, they needed a backup quarterback, but still, they did not take the best available, and so I right, I don't get it. You know, but. Bill's going to do Bill things, am I right? <laughs> hey, hey, Belichick, he hasn't failed yet, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep riding with him. All right, all right. So let's let's hop over into another thing that I thought was pretty interesting. This was something that you pointed out to me, and that's that's the Raiders taking Zamir White. And to me, with them not picking up any fifth-year options on that class that had Josh Jacobs, Clone Farrell, 
I th Josh Jacobs is going to be on the move, and Zamir White is going to be the future of that backfield. To me, I honestly, I don't know if I really agree with moving on from Josh Jacobs. Uh, I, I am a fan of Zamir White, but it's kind of it, it's kind of a little bit of a mind-boggling pick. And that whole Raiders, I mean, that was a few years ago, but that whole Raiders draft was a, a big cluster. <laughs> so I can understand why you're maybe wanting to move on for Josh Jacobs for contract reasons, because you're paying that offense a whole lot of money right now. So you got to keep got to keep a lot of that aspect young. Josh Jacobs is a little bit underrated across the league. I know his yards per carry isn't necessarily where you'd want it at. I think that could be a potentially risky move for the Raiders to move on of that of their you know running back of the last few years. I actually agree with everything that you just said. All, all I'll add on to it is that Josh Jacobs might have some lingering injury mm. that we are unsure about, but I, I don't necessarily even want to go that extreme. If you look at the way that the NFL salary cap is spread around, you have room for about seven guys, like seven real guys. And they already have Carr, they already have Adams, they already have Colton Miller at left tackle, and then they have Waller kind of in this weird limbo. Not to mention, I'm sure that Max Crosby's going to get a huge deal. It's a, no, he already did, I think. He already did he this offseason. He got a huge deal. So right there, if you're counting up the sure things on this roster, Adams, Carr, Miller, and Crosby, there's four right there. So you're right. It has to be for some type of salary cap purposes. And even guaranteeing the money, you know, a year from now was too much for them to handle. The thing about Zamir White, too, is that he was like the people. People don't look at it as much this way, but maybe they do. Georgia's running back you. Uh, Zamir White was a five-star prospect. He, he was actually rated higher than James Cook, who was taken in the second round. He's. He is a real guy, and I thought last year he showed – now, he wasn't anywhere close to Najee Harris, but I thought over the last two years he made, of course, not as high of a jump, but that same jump in terms of this is where I was and now I'm here. There's potential for Zamir White to be, you know, a, a, a tad above average running back in the league and for a team that's already got Adams and everything. I, I'm guessing – to me, that was a clear signal. This is the running back of the future, uh, but it was the Josh D Jacobs uh, declining of the fifth-year option, I think, that really really made this pick stand out more than anything. No, absolutely. And like I said, I, I don't dislike the pick. It's it's tough to move on from a guy like Jacobs, but uh, you know, due to the injury history, contract issues, Zamir White, I mean, you're, you're never going to be upset about getting that guy on your squad. And Angelo, there was another running back situation that I, you know, as a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm scratching my head here. The Cleveland Browns drafted Cincinnati running back Jerome Ford, which I very, very much am a Jerome Ford fan, but with how Same. deep this backfield is, I mean, ex excluding Nick Chubb, you have Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, Jerome Ford, and Demetric Felton. I mean, that is a very, very talented backfield, but at the same time, uh, you don't need five running backs. You don't. So I, I have a I have a little bit of an itch that uh, one of these two guys, probably named either Kareem Hunt or Dearness Johnson, is going to be on the move, and I honestly think it could be Kareem Hunt. I think it might be a little bit of an unexpected move if you're not, you know, inside of Cleveland seeing what's going on. But with the injury history, uh, I understand how valuable he is in the past in the past game on third downs. But you can't necessarily be paying your backup running back starting salary when he is, you know, playing what twelve games a season. Uh, regardless how valuable he is to your football team. I mean, we're paying, we have guys on the biggest contracts in the history of football. Denzel Ward's making more money than any cornerback ever. Deshaun Watson's getting the most guaranteed money ever. 
Uh, Miles Garrett's on one of the biggest defensive contracts ever. This is a very expensive football team, and to be given your backup running back starting salary, it just, you can't do it. So I honestly think that this was kind of a little bit of a hint that we're getting rid of one of our fan favorites, which, yes, it's a bit of a stinger, but I think it's going to happen, Angelo. I, I I will push back just a little bit. Now, you are more in tune with your team than I am, but I will say for a team that didn't have high picks, he was still the sixth one that they took in this class. So it, it's almost a numbers game. How many of these guys are you going to keep? And he was the, like I said, the sixth guy in the he was a fifth rounder. Everybody else, York, Winfrey, Bell, Wright, Emerson, they were all drafted above him. I wonder if this was, hey, let's get him. Because I was a Jerome Ford guy too. But at the same time, he's not better than Nick Chubb. He's not better than Kareem Hunt. He's and not. I thought that Felton, correct me if I'm wrong, did he play a lot of receiver last year? Uh, Felton, eh, not necessarily, but he can be valuable out of the backfield. He was the UCLA kid last year, wasn't he? Uh, yes, yes. They he We... Used him, but he never really got the opportunity. But he he is valuable in the slot. Okay, I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of positioning, or maybe he's a pack practice squad guy that they just trust. But I I'm not uh, from the outside looking in. You're much more in tune with your team than I am. From the outside looking in, a fifth round running back doesn't scream getting rid of because I mean, let's face it, I I, I off the top of my head, I can't think of outside of maybe New Orleans where they might have a 1-2 running back combination as good as Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the league. So it would be odd to break that up for a for a middle-of-the-fifth-round rookie. No, and I, I completely agree with you, but uh, just you know, seeing the direction that the Cleveland Browns have gone in and seeing them invest money into these high-caliber players, I you never like I said, you never want to have to do something like that. But understand there, there was a, a chirps about Kareem Hunt potentially, you know, getting cut or not cut but traded this uh off season. So the fact that that didn't happen, the fact that he's still on the roster, you know, I'm happy about it, but it, it was just it was kind of weird to to see a guy that uh, Jerome Ford's level because yes, he was a very late draft pick, but that's a guy that absolutely has a shot to make an impact in the NFL and like you said, you're probably not, you know, from the outside in, you're not viewing this guy Jerome Ford coming to take Kareem Hunt's spot. Kareem Hunt can go be a starter on maybe, you know, 15 NFL teams right now. Kareem Hunt is a baller, but it's just the money situation that's making me question things right now. And, you know, knowing that Jerome Ford can kind of catch the ball out of the backfield, not necessarily being the primary guy to do that, but I could kind of see that being a, a, a something we transition into. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if I had to take my my hot take guess on, on a big move that's coming the rest of this offseason, it would be Kareem Hunt's on the move for the Cleveland Browns. But you know, if it doesn't happen, don't quote me on that. Angelo, another thing that kind of surprised me was the greatest punter in the history of college football, Mr. Matariza, was the third punter drafted. And you know, to me, you know, seeing a guy that had the greatest season or the greatest career as a punter in college football history, you wouldn't you expect him to be the first punter taken? No, there was two punters around before him. It was a little bit mind-blowing to me, but what I saw or what I read was, you know, yes, Matariza, that boy can boot a football. He can make that thing launch 70 yards, but they're concerned. Can he Can he punt it within 45, you know? Is he going to outkick the coverage every time? And that's that was the only thing that I saw that teams were maybe a little concerned with Ariza. There, there was no doubt that the dude that could flip the field like no other, but a lot of these special teams guys are very, you know, 
you cannot outkick the coverage. And if you can't put it where they want you to put it, you're not going to have a chance in the NFL. I'm not saying Matt is not going to have a chance. That dude's going to have a long career in football. It's, it's, it's almost crazy to me that you can be too strong of a punter, and Matt Ariza proved that. Yeah, I mean, he was. it was funny, though. On ESPN, Mel Kuyper, actually, his 1-2-3 in punters is exactly the order that it went in. Mm. So that was kind of a big dub for, for, for Mel Kuyper in being able to scout special teams, kind of like that old man, I still got it <laughs> type of thing. Uh, where we just all were kind of like, Ariza, Ariza. Uh, the Jor- Jordan Stout kid, I mean, he's obviously, I mean, for the Ravens to take him first, I mean, they, they had the extra capital to go and take the one they wanted that high. So it is interesting that they selected him as their guy. But I will say that Camarado was someone as a Kentucky fan where they play Georgia every year, or I cover Kentucky. I, I used to be a Kentucky fan, now I cover Kentucky. But Jake Camarado. He he can boom the effing ball, man. Like that dude. I remember watching him. Punt, I was like, God dang, this is this is like not only not only does their defense have to like their defense have to be good. Whenever we stop the offense, it's like, all right, well now you know back up. It's like, <laughs> right oh, now we're gonna on. just completely flip the field for you. But yeah, this I mean the 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 record setting ability of Ariza. Yeah, that was just kind of surprising. Stout was at least bigger, and that made sense. Uh, but yes, the the season that he had last year, I mean, it was, yeah, it really seems like that this guy is the real deal. So the Bills, I mean, that's a sneaky, sneaky get for the Bills. And all these teams, uh, Ravens, Bucks, Bills, all playoff contenders, and the Bucks and Bills specifically being Super Bowl contenders with the Ravens also, you know, wanting to put their hat in that ring. It's interesting they went rookie punters to kind of change the game for their for their special teams. No, absolutely, and uh, correct. But also so early, right? Four, right. Like two gonna... in the fourth round. Like I was more the thing. I don't really like. I get that. I, I don't scout punters, so I get that that other teams could have them ranked differently. But for two to go in the fourth, and then Ariza fall all the way to the sixth, that's kind of like, man, there was that big of a separation right. where people were just fine waiting on him. Yo, know, I I was literally making a joke. Uh, you know, you know, maybe a week prior to the draft, I was like. Does Ariza sneak his way into the fourth round? Top of like, no. But two other punters did. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I lo- that's, that's what I love stuff. about the draft, man. You you can only know so much, right? Right. Angelo, this draft was nothing short of talent across the board, and cornerbacks was not a position of exception. Tariq Woolen, somebody that you were hyping up, you know, a few weeks ago, a guy that we were we were joking about on this podcast, saying, you know. That super athlete is something that Pete Carroll would absolutely rave over. I mean, a 6'4 cornerback, how is Pete Carroll going to pass on that? Well, guess what? He didn't. So, (laughs) Angelo, why don't you take me away? These corners late in the draft were actually something special. Yeah, there are a couple that I want to highlight because I do think they could be of note in the future. Number one, Seattle, of course, takes Tariq Woolen. 6'4", 200 pounds, elite athlete with a capital E and the capital elite. Like, he really is everything that you look for out of a vertical and speed athlete. He's got a long way to go, but that's someone that Pete Carroll is going to look over at the boundary and be like, just do exactly what I say, and you're going to make a Pro Bowl, kid. Okay, just do it. Just do what I say. Um, there were a couple other. I'll say the. I'll say the last one. Uh, there are two corners that were taken later in the draft that I feel like went a little 
under the radar. Uh, the first one was a New England Patriots draft pick. Now, he didn't go too late. He, he went at the top of the fourth round. For, so for day three, he went early, overall about middle of the draft. It was Jack Jones of Arizona State. He originally was committed to USC, and he had some things go on in his life along the way that kept him from kind of, I guess, be, be really, really uh, making his stardom known. And then all of a sudden, he goes to Arizona State, he turns everything around, and now he is a New England Patriot. He's an older guy, I think he's around 25, but this kid was a top recruit coming out of high school, and to be drafted in the fourth round, the Patriots obviously identified him as someone that they were, you know, they, they were they were really keying in on because the talent in relation to the spot, and especially, you know what Bill Belichick likes? He likes cornerbacks that are coached by Herm Edwards and Marvin Lewis, like Arizona State had. So it seems like that uh, he wanted a ready-made corner that came with an elite high school package of skills. So that's, I mean, like I, I'm interested to see how that works out for New England because some people will say he come out of nowhere, but they're little breadcrumbs, you know, that 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 say that he could be someone. The other one that I'll tell about is Darion Kendrick, who went in the seventh round to, or excuse me, the sixth round to the Los Angeles Rams. He is a player that was a five-star U.S. Army Player of the Year Award finalist. Like, he was in the All-American game. He committed to Clemson coming out. He started his career as a wide receiver, but he eventually moved to cornerback and unfortunately, he was dismissed from the team after like discipl- disciplinary problems and whatnot. But he played at Georgia last year and had four picks. So this is another kid that that he's he's like Woolen, where he's raw at the position, but at the same time, number number one, he had uh, moved to a starting position at Clemson earlier on in a major conference. He ha- was productive, and then he went to what we consider the greatest defense of all time, and we don't even talk about him. He was in this Athlon Sports magazine that I got before all the draft process. And I'll, I'll tell you about this a different time, Brendan. But for something that was four months old by the time the draft came, it was a little scarily accurate. So that's something to keep in mind. But they had Darion Kendrick rated. How, how high do you think they had him? Draft-wise? Yeah, yeah. Like out, like ranking in the corners. Darion Kendrick was like the 25th corner taken. Let's just say that. How? Where do you think he ranked on their list? Hmm. I'm gonna this say was like, back in January. Back in January, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say like 17, fourth. <laughs> they had Darian Kendrick rated fourth out of all of the corners in oh the class. My goodness. But this is someone that was a five-star receiver, started at Clemson, 15 starts. He's a two-time national champion. He was first-team All-ACC in 2020, second-team All-ACC last year on the greatest defense of all time. He was the Orange Bowl MVP in 2021. Like, this kid is legit. And he dropped all the way to the sixth round. And guess where he ends up? A team (laughs) that needs contributors right away to keep rolling and that's the Rams so the Rams might have just gotten a legitimate NFL number two cornerback in the sixth round I was blown away man like when I found out all about his background like I said started the process or or late so I didn't get up on some of these corners but he's someone that I definitely would have been circling Rams will ram (laughs) ram that that is a fantastic Rams pick last one 
and we'll move off day three notes. Zion McCollum mm-hmm. was also rated as one of the very top athletes in this class. Now, he only played at little Sam Houston State, but he is 6'2", and he is 200 pounds of just pure athlete. So much so that the Buccaneers thought he was a necessary add-on to this team. In fact, let me give you the numbers as we go across because what he was able to post at his like pro day or combine or whatever it was at was ridiculous. 6'2", 199 pounds. He ran a 4.33 with a 1.46 10-yard split, both absolutely elite. He had a 39-and-a-half-inch vertical, an 11-foot broad jump, and he had the he was a 0.04 percentage of away from the best three-cone drill ever recorded by a corner. So this kid is what we would call in the business an elite athlete. Okay, I don't think I'm stretching it there. To do that, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers moved an asset, but they've got someone now that they can mold – and someone I think they needed. They needed a corner that necessarily didn't have to play right away. But that defensive backfield's impressive. And we got Todd Bowles as the coach, coach still there. I really like that pick, okay? Uh, but, but we're going to get off the of day three notes now. Let me, t- let me tell you some of the trades before we head to our winners and losers just because I want to get in some of the picks that involve next year. These are not all the trades in the draft. These are just trades that involve picks from next year. The one that I just talked about, Tampa Bay sent a fourth-round pick next year for the for the rights to pick McCollum and a seventh. So they obviously liked him a lot to move off of that. I said earlier the Panthers traded their fourth-round pick and a third next year, so Panthers keep moving picks, for Matt Corral. And I think that really worked out for them. I, I, we'll get to them probably a little later, but I thought that that was a good uh, a, a good use of future capital while also not sacrificing like top end capital next year to stay in the top of the draft in case there is a quarterback that's you know catches your eye like a CJ Stroud, a Bryce Young, a Will Levis type. That's something that I thought was a good move. That way you can kind of get a prospect now and for the future. Broncos get the Colts' 2023 third-round pick for the move up to get Nick Cross, the Maryland safety, who graded out as an elite athlete. And that's the Broncos using picks this year to load up in the future because they got rid of their firsts for Russell Wilson. Well, now they have an extra third next year to kind of play with their assets a little more. Browns get a Vikings 2023 fourth-round pick and move up, so I know you like that. And a move up for a Caleb Evans – Caleb Evans, this is, again, why I was late on the process joining the team and scouting all the corners. He's actually the kid. He played for Missouri, but he's a kid two years ago that I identified at Tulsa because I saw him at Tulsa. I was like, who's this long athletic corner that's playing out there? He ended up going to Missouri, and he ended up going in the fourth round. Like for I, Sometimes players just catch my eye, and it works out. He's someone that isn't a ball hawk. He's only had one interception. I think it came his first year in college, but he's really long, really athletic. I I hate that the Vikings got him. (laughs) And then uh, the last trade uh, was that the uh, Jags sent – well, nope, I think I just did that backwards. I did. I already did that one. Excuse me. So my my whole thing was in in evaluating this, not one pick – in next year's draft, first or second round, were traded. That's 
that says something about how strong people in the league think next year's class is and not moving those assets and keeping them because the draft's going to be strong and the quarterback's pool is going to be strong and you never know where you're going to be. Is, is that kind of what you got from that? Or did you just think that maybe it just wasn't worth it in this draft? What, what, what is your take on my take? Or what is your take on no 2023 first or seconds were swapped in, in this draft? No, I, I agree with you. I think next year, um, I, I think this, this draft got, kind of in in a sense disrespected i feel like teams didn't feel like there was much quote unquote i guess elite talent early on and i think that's why we saw a lot of trades on the back half i i do think next year will be the year of the quarterback i think we're going to potentially see what three first round guys next year all these teams that i mean we we've mentioned oh three i've heard as many as i think that they set the line on adam schefter's podcast mel kuyper threw it out he said six and a half six and a half oh wow i thought it was gonna be six and a half for first two rounds i love that no i will go under that for sure but i think that we could see i'm doing actually when you hear this uh be on the lookout i'm making a first round mock draft for the 2023 class and if I'm not mistaken, I think I have three quarterbacks going in the top three. Okay, I love it. So I think that this quarterback class is going to have a ton, a uh, ton of guys. Oh yeah, I mean, and then you got guys like Will Anderson. This this next draft, Jalen Carter. Yep. Exactly. yep. Oh my gosh! It's like, don't even get me started. I started looking dude. at some of these names, and I was like, oh, it's 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 legit, legit. It is going to be absolutely disgusting. I mean. I, I 100% think you're correct, Angelo, that this this next year, the first round is going to be absolutely drowning in elite talent. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. I think teams aren't really ready to give up those assets quite yet. Nope. And, but, but it's, it's making me sad because we still have the 2022 draft. I don't right. want to just, just, <laughs> just put it by the wayside. So uh, why don't we do a what I think is an incredibly fun exercise. Brennan and I, instead of picking our winners and going back and forth, we're going to draft the winners. So it's essentially the same thing, but we are competing against each other to at the end, who has the best collection of best drafts of like best collection of winners from the draft. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I will be, I will, I will be the plucky lad. I'll be, I'll be the good guy. I'll let you go first, Brendan, because not only, not, not only will it give you the first pick, it also gives you a very painful thing to talk about. So go, <laughs> go ahead, Brendan. You have the first pick, and again, the concept is we're just trying to pick the best collection of winners of the draft. You know, Angelo, I appreciate you giving me this. But I'm gonna hit you with the curveball. I don't. Feel no like, way. I don't feel like crying on the podcast today. So, I I'm going to go with the Jets for my first pick, Angelo. Oh my goodness. And I I want to do this because you can make a legitimate argument that they got three of the best players at three different positions, and that's Ahmad Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and Brees Hall. I feel like Brees Hall was the consensus number one overall running back. Garrett Wilson was a very popular choice for the number one overall wide receiver. And Sauce was kind of split 50-50 with Derek Stingley. So to be able to land all... And then not to mention, you get Jermaine Johnson at 24, a guy that was mocked in the top 10 a lot. I mean, it's just absolutely filthy. And then on top of that, Angelo, they got Jeremy Ruckert, who I was constantly preaching as the most underrated tight end of this class, who I think is going to be a legitimate red zone threat in the NFL. So you, it, I, I think there's a legitimate case that overall the Jets had the best draft. 
I was going to go with the other team that I feel like you might pick up now, but you mentioned something that kind of was given a backhand to somebody that's very important to that team. So, yes, it was a great draft, but there were still errors in my opinion. What the Jets did was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I mean, Zach Wilson, I was kind of saying on the on the last show that uh, one thing that you can, you know, you can give Zach Wilson is the dude's got a talented deep ball. I think Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore are going to really help spread that field and open things up, give him more space to work with downfield. And then you get Brees Hall, a guy that's fantastic catching the ball out of the backfield and a guy that's in every down back. That's, I mean, geez, man, that's a complete offense. You get Jeremy Ruckert on the starting lineup. If that offensive line works out for you, this Jets team's really not abysmal anymore. We, like... It's, they're building a darn good football team, Angelo. And then to get Jermaine Johnson, who, you know, I was not necessarily as high on Jermaine Johnson as the rest of the world. I do think that, you know, I kind of made the analogy that he might have some two by fours stapled onto his sides to restrict that bend. But to be able to get, land a guy that people valued so highly at pick 24, you can make an argument that was the steal of the first round. Uh, I, I would say somebody else, but there's a legitimate argument that getting Jermaine Johnson at 24 was the number one seal of the first round. So the Jets, to me, uh, they deserve an A++ for this draft. And I honestly, I mean, who would have thought we'd be saying that? Re- respectfully, respectfully. Sorry, Jets Respect, there, Respectfully. But... There's nothing respectful that comes <laughs> after respectfully. Exactly. Well, it's just like respect. I, I like I like your pick, but respectfully, I get the steal of the winners portion of our draft to to get the Ravens at number two, it was just too easy. And I knew the Browns fan couldn't pull the trigger. So I set him straight <laughs> up with giving him the first pick. The smoke screen. Just so I could revel in this. Now, first off, they they get more value out of Marquise Brown than I think we ever thought. Let's start off there. They get they ha- they picked him in the first round, got a couple of years out of him, including an MVP season by Lamar Jackson, and then flip him for a first round. So you used him throughout the young prime years that he has, flipped him, and you ended up getting my number five, or how about this, my number six and number five overall players in this draft, respect- respectively, in Kyle Hamilton, who you gushed about I'm as the top safety in this class. What was that? I'm, what, a, I'm obsessed with him. Yeah, yeah, you are obsessed, and you're going to be obsessed with him for years <laughs> and years and years and years to come. As Kyle Hamilton dropped to 14, the Ravens didn't have to move, and they still got a consensus top player in this draft. Then they trade down from the pick that they got. I bet not very far uh, from 23 to 25, but they trade down and still get the top interior lineman of this class and arguably the top lineman in this class in Tyler Linderbaum, whose tape is... Now, look, I remember watching Ryan Kelly tape a couple years ago and being like, this guy's a first-round center. Like, I was sure of it. Like, he had everything you wanted as a first-round center. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum, if they were in the same class, it would be different tiers. And how good Tyler Linderbaum's tape was. I mean, this kid, I watched one tape and I was like, oh, this guy is it. Like, this is the center of center prospects. Like, he, he's got to be the Andrew Luck of center prospects, no, ab- essentially, absolutely. to me. He, he's an elite player. Uh, to get him and Hamilton is is a crime against, uh, well, it's, it's more of a benefit for the Ravens, but it is a crime against the rest of the team's g- general managers saying, this is how stupid that all of you are. And it continued 
Because since they had the extra picks to play with, eh, let's just go and get David Ajabo, who after watching him, I kind of just was like, yeah, this guy's this guy actually is the out of all of the edge rushers. And everybody wanted to act like Jermaine Johnson was it, and I guess Trayvon Walker, but I think it's a different type with him. If you're looking for like the Alden Smith-esque developmental pass rusher in this class, it would have it was David Ajabo. And I'm not kidding. I, I, I think he could have gone eight to Atlanta if he stayed healthy. Like, I think that that's the kind of potential that he had that a team like Atlanta would be like, look, we don't get these very often. Let's go ahead and get our guy. But they aren't patient. They want to try to improve the football team now while the Ravens sit back and say, no, we'll, we'll wait a year. We'll give him the best rehab possible. And now we have three top 15 players in this draft on the same team like that's i mean that's a win right there right oh brendan it's it just far keeps from going over. man <laughs> it's far from over i can hear the tear like you're choking it just keeps going travis jones who I, I there was someone on our podcast that ranked him as their third ranked defensive tackle and a guy they would take in the first round i forgot who it was Brendan, do you remember? Ah, oh, God, I, I don't know who that could have been. Who, who, oh, it was Brendan Boland that had that Travis much. Jones up there. They get they get a true – this is exactly the type of player that fits their front. They wanted Jordan Davis. He he got – the Eagles traded up and got him, so they just took Hamilton. Like, oh, what a pain the Ravens had to experience. But they get the best non-freakazoid, megazord type of player outside of Jordan Davis and Travis Jones to play the nose tackle position in this class and then just keep going. Dan Falele, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be anything, but to be a run-blocking right tackle at 6'8", 365 pounds for Lamar Jackson seems like something that could work. Uh, Jalen Armour Davis, a starting cornerback on Alabama, uh, sounds good to me. Charlie Kohler, Iowa State, you like him? I do. You like him? Okay. Uh, Jordan Stout, they get the top punter on their board because, you know, why not? And then Isaiah Likely in, in, in a sleeper pick in Tyler Beatty. He's much different than the other running backs that they have, but he was super productive for Missouri this year. He, he led the SEC in rushing. He's someone that could be the different type of back when you have like your Dobbins and your Edwards and those types. But uh, let me count them up for you, Brendan, and why you lost the draft and I won this winner's draft already. That's a one, two, three, four, five starters that they got, including one that they're going to get next year, which is essentially like an extra first-round pick. So they got six starters and four of them, and the punter, if he's good, five of them are high-end Pro Bowl potential players. So, yeah, how, how do you feel about that as, a, as our resident Browns fan? Well, as a Browns fan, I have a lot of experience with losing, so I know how to take it well. But, you know, once we reach these things called expectations, uh, it's something I've never had as a Browns fan. Um, <laughs> you know, it kind of hurts a little bit knowing that, hey, the Browns, we're competitive. Oh, wait, the Ravens just had the best draft on top of already being a playoff team. And Angelo, uh, a player that, you know, I still think could make an impact on the Ravens that you didn't even mention was a 400-pound run blocker that is, you know, still light on his feet. I don't think Daniel Falele is going to be a starter or anything, but to be able to get a dude... Oh, no, I, no, Brendan, I did say that. I did oh, say he was a starter. Oh, excuse me, excuse he, me. 
I think he's going to start at right tackle, and Linderbaum's going to start at center, and he's just going to mow people over while Lamar Jackson. You know what hurts on top of all this is that the Ravens were smart and traded up to 32 and got a franchise quarterback, and your team like bludgeoned the entire his- the rest of franchise history in their draft capital for a guy that <laughs> may, be a, may be a criminal. We don't know yet. Yeah. So, uh, so- yeah, all, all of this is hard for you, and all to say is you get one get-out-of-jail-free card, and that's the Ravens were the Browns before they moved. So if you switch teams, I think legally, by blood, distant relative, you're allowed to do it. <laughs> hey, but by heart, I would never. I would never. But, oh, man. It, it's I was so unbelievably impressed with the Ravens draft. And honestly, it was the best draft. I, I had to pick the Jets because, like I said, I'm not trying to cry in front of the whole world. And I was just... It's nice to see. And I was gracious enough to give you the first exactly, pick, so exactly. it, it's only right. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. What's what's next? Now, now we got the top two teams on our boards out of the way. What's going to be hmm, – the Jets were might have been third on my board, so let's say if you take who was second. I don't know if this is going to be second on your board, but I think this was a team that absolutely crushed what they needed for you know need-based, and they got guys that I thought – you know, we're going to go a little earlier, but they ended up getting them uh, later. And that's the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, they weren't on my top ten. Really? Wow. Okay, let's let's hear it. Okay, so I just want to say, you know how big of a fan I was of George Karloftis. I, I was absolutely raving about that guy. Uh, to be, Same. To be able to get him, you know, I, I think a lot of people had him mocked late first, which was, you know, obviously where he went, but I, I was a little bit higher on him than most. But so... They fixed that edge. Frank Clark has not been half the player that they have, you know, expected him to be. So to be able to get who I call the speed to power God uh, late in the first is awesome. <laughs> to be able to get Trent McDuffie, another person that I was super high on in this draft, I, it's it's just a perfect fit for Kansas City. Uh, I think they've been struggling. The, the secondary, with the exception of Honey Badger, is a position that they've been, you know, trying to figure out for the last few years. Now that the Honey Badger's gone, they really lack any dominance in that secondary. So I think being able to get a guy that, you know, was regarded maybe the, you know, third or fourth best corner in this draft by a lot of people, fantastic. Now, you will never in a million years replace Tyreek Hill. I think we can all agree on that. Tyreek Hill's an irreplaceable player. But to be able to land a guy like Sky Moore, I think is a fantastic fit for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Sky Moore is not a guy that's you know, going to blow you away like, oh my gosh, the Chiefs got Sky Moore. But for what they have lost this offseason, I think it's a fantastic addition. You have height and you have speed. You have a, a, a possession guy that could be great on third down in Juju. And like I just said, you got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who's going to be that height speed guy. And then you got Sky Moore, a guy that's smaller, but still can take the top off, still has, you know, top tier speed. He's not going to be Tyree Kill, but I think that's a fantastic security blanket to get for Patrick Mahomes again. And that, that receiving core, it really was lacking. Like, you lose a guy like Tyree Kill, that changes the complete, uh, it, it changes every aspect of your offense, okay? It changes your team. It's it, it, 100%. I, I will make an argument that Tyree Kill is one of the most valuable players in the National Football League because oh, he— have I not told you that before? Are we, are, are we just, like, in sync? Because I have made the argument that he is the best player in football, yeah, be, be, regardless of position. Yes, because you have to completely alter— how you're playing defense without, I mean, no disrespect to Travis Kelsey, but Travis Kelsey doesn't have the production without Tyreek. You have to worry about a guy taking the top off every single play. 
Come on, Travis Ke- Travis Kel- Travis Kelsey's a possession receiver without Tyree Kill. Exactly. Like he like tra- Tyree Kill. It's not only the reason. And the, here's the the hidden part and why people never argue for him, even though they're wrong, is that you say they completely changed the defense, and you could say that about a couple different players, but it's the reason why. There's not a single player in the NFL that has a higher chance of scoring per play that he is on the field than Tyreek Hill. 100%. Be- and that's why. Yeah, because he could do it if it's you know taking the top off running a 60-yard streak, or you give him a screen pass and he's going to take it for 60 elsewhere. So Well, hell, man. The, 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 the Super Bowl champions decided that they were going to use their hubris against the Chiefs in Week 12, the year they won, and Tyreek Hill in the first quarter of the game took him for 200 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> Like because they they were like oh you're gonna do this to this guy no he's the best player in the league I, I agree with you I, I think he is the most valuable but the only way and I know you have more picks to go through I don't mean to interrupt no you worries. too much um I will just say this though I disagree with that though I disagree with them giving away they should have given him the top contract like he wanted all that I think it was very prudent of them now they will never have the ceiling that they did the last three years or four years. They'll never have it again. And I mean that like in my heart. The way that you mitigate that, because you're never going to be as good on offense, is that you get better on defense and you get better in a real way. Mm-hmm. And McDuffie and Karloftis is is the start to making this a more balanced team uh, on the sides of the ball so you can thin the margins and make up for the loss of Hill. Absolutely. And that get, that brings me right into my next guy that I wanted to talk about. And this was my linebacker three, Angelo. That's Leo Chanel. I was obsessed with this guy's ability to make tackles. That's something that the Chiefs struggled with last year was once guys, you know, got past that defensive line, linebackers couldn't tackle, secondary couldn't tackle. Now you get one of the best tackling linebackers in the class in Leo Chanel, a phenomenal run stuffer. That's to, to pair that with Nick Bolton, now you have two young athletic linebackers that hopefully are going to be able to contain that run that you've been struggling with. On top of that, I know that I kind of mentioned that I was not as big on this guy as other people were, but you get Brian Cook, a guy that, uh, a safety from Cincinnati, you just lost uh, the heart and soul of your, de- your secondary in Tyron Matthew. To be able to get a rangy guy like Brian Cook, even though I said he was a little overrated, is still an incredibly valuable pickup. It's incredibly valuable. The dude's an athletic guy. He's rangy. You're not going to leave him at a single high, but you're confident enough. I I truly think that he's going to be their starter uh, week one. And then one more player, Angelo, I want to talk about. I I know who you're going to talk about or else we're going to have a problem. Oh, are we? I I don't know if I'm going to mention. Okay. One player that didn't get drafted, but still got picked up was Justin Ross, Angelo. Mm. That is such an underrated, sneaky move. Justin Ross is legit, you guys. Justin Ross is legit. I know there's the, the injury concerns and stuff like that, and there's a little bit of scare with that. But a guy In like... testing, yeah. But, oh my goodness. A guy like Justin Ross... And, and I, I'm just playing with you. I know I know the guy that you want me to say. Hey, I will, just, I will say this, though. Justin Ross to them, that makes perfect sense. Of course, they would... The, the top undrafted receiver would want to go play with the top you know, young quarterback in football, you know, not named Justin Herbert. Right. And then, of course, I, I had to tease Angel a little bit, but a guy that he mentioned as an underrated prospect was Darian Kennard. And to be able to get him at 145, that Chiefs offensive line went from really bad to phenomenal in two years, Angelo. 
like it, th- this, the Super Bowl, they were like against the 49ers. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, Patrick Mahomes scrambled for more yards than anybody in the history of a playoff game in that Super Bowl. So, uh, like behind the line of scrimmage, pre-throw, that's how bad the offensive line was in crunch time. The last year, they draft Creed Humphrey, all pro first year. This offensive line is going to be legit. And I, I like you mentioned, you lose a guy like Tyreek Hill, that completely changes the your football team. So you have to just reload everywhere else on your team, especially in the trenches and on the defensive side of the ball. And they did that on both sides of the ball. So I, I was super impressed with what Kansas City did. Maybe it wasn't, okay, player-wise wasn't necessarily like a, the third best draft, but for what they have been lacking on their football team, the, you know, not able to stop the run game, ha- losing, you know, not having any depth in the secondary, losing Tyreek Hill, having to fix the trenches. I think they solved a majority of their issues. Like, you're not ever going to fix the Tyreek Hill issue. Like you said, you're never going to reach that ceiling again. But all the issues that were fixable, I thought at least for the time being, they've, they've put a bandage over them. I guess I, I'll, I thought they had a I thought they had a top half of the league draft. Like, I do think they had a good draft. I don't want that to be mistaken. I just don't think they had the third best draft in the league is all I'm saying. I can, res- so, I can respect that 100%. I, I think I gave them a little bit higher than, you know, the third overall best draft, like I said, simply because I thought they attacked their needs very well. All right, let me get to the fourth pick, and my board is falling right into place. I get the first and second team on my board. We're gonna put this on. We're gonna put this on the internet for to grade like who had the better collection of drafts, and they're gonna and they're going to ratio you back to the Stone Age of Autogram, man. <laughs> which is which is probably where you want to be back when you all were good. Yeah, that's probably uh, by me. Bring me back to the Jimmy Brown days. How did you how did you catch a stray? How did you and the Browns catch a stray off that? I, I'm going to pick the Philadelphia Eagles at four. I knew it was coming. It was. It was. And it's not even let, let's I could go through the draft. Jordan Davis. I mean, you get the freakiest the freakiest of freak athletes in this draft, even freakier than Trayvon Walker, to be six six, three forty and test as well as he did. And not only mentioning that, he swept all the college awards. Now I didn't love his tape, but he's someone athletically that you know, Bill Parcells is Planet Theory. Well, this dude is at the top of the food chain when it comes to the Planet Theory. We could talk about how they said the best way that Nakobe Dean could play in the NFL is if he had a space eater in front of him. Not not only to pair him with his Georgia teammate, to get him in the third round. I mean, like, it's ludicrous that they were able to do that. And in between, they get a Creed Humphrey-like athletic tester at center in Cameron Jurgens. Like, to me, those top three picks, I don't even care about Kyron Johnson and Grant Calcaterra. Like, I'm sure that they're good dudes and might become great players. But those three picks right there, I look for when I look in the draft, I say, how do you hit the first three rounds? Like, where do you – you have to hit on those. The rest of them can lose. You have to hit on those. And I think they did. But that's not all. That's not all by a long shot. They traded a first-round pick for – they traded, let's say, they traded their two first-round picks. I believe it was uh, 16 and 19 for the 18th pick from New Orleans. Then they got a 2023 first. And then they got a 2024 second out of that. So they consolidated one, two first-round picks this year into a first-round pick next year and a second-round pick two years from now while also keeping the top pick to get Jordan Davis. And then what did they do with the Saints' 18th pick? 
Oh, nothing like really big. They just acquired arguably the top, the, the second, I'll say the second, the second best receiver on the trade market and A.J. Brown, <laughs> which is exactly the type of receiver that they needed. They could have picked Traylon Burks, but they said, hey, we've got Devonta Smith on a rookie contract. We have Quez Watkins. We have Jalen Rager. We have all these guys on rookie deals. Why don't we spend the extra moolah and get a certified, bona fide, large receiver stud with speed, power, and hands to go along with that? So, Let's go ahead and get the first-round picks. They got Jordan Davis. They got A.J. Brown. They got a Saints uh, first-round pick next year where, A, the Saints could be terrible, and, B, that quarterback uh, draft is looking, uh, like we say here in Kentucky, finger-licking good. (laughs) And then you get a – then you get a second two years from now, so you just steady piling up the assets. Well, hey – we can just consider Nakobe Dean a third first-round pick because the dude was all rated at the, in a first round of our boards as a linebacker. And then you get Jason Kelsey's replacement where Jurgens gets time to learn under him and he's an elite athlete. Couldn't imagine the Eagles doing any better than what they did except maybe taking Kyle Hamilton instead of Jordan Davis. But I'm not going to pick nits here. I've got the fourth pick in our thing and I got my second winner Baltimore Ravens, Philadelphia Eagles, my top. All right, I respect it. I respect it. For what the Eagles were able to do on the draft itself, like acquire a guy like Jordan Davis, and then get A.J. Brown, who we knew was likely going to be on the move, but to be able to pair him with Devontae Smith is just absolutely disgusting. And uh, I, I was not expecting any other answer than the Eagles on with that pick, Angelo. Yep. I mean, I, I, I bet you're kind of salty that you didn't pick them instead of the Chiefs. So I'm interested to see uh, what New England Patriots type of pick you take here <laughs> in our draft winner section. <laughs> okay. So, dude, I, I feel like we've reached a point where it's kind of like, okay, I, I'll disagree with you on the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs did legitimately have a top five draft, but I'm now at the point where I think the top five teams really are off the board. So I'm going to have to say the Tennessee Titans are sixth for me. Uh, okay. 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 See, board's still falling a little lower on my list, but I at least I had them in my top 10. All so right, let's good, hear good, it. Good, good, good. So first off, uh, like I was mentioning on the last show, A.J. Brown, we all know that he wanted out of Tennessee. Who do you get? Okay. You get A.J. Brown 2.0, the guy that's been drawing unreasonable amounts well not unreasonable but an insane amounts of comparisons so you're paying about 20 million less a year for a guy that's been drawing comparisons now i understand he's not proven but Traylon brooks was my favorite receiver of this draft so i can't can't be upset about that then they get a starting caliber cornerback in the second round in roger mccreary which they desperately need i mean i i love their draft pick last year with caleb farley but we know that there's some injury concerns. So if you can have both of them healthy, that's a very young and talented secondary you have brewing in, in Tennessee. And that's something that they have mightily struggled with the last few years was the defensive side of the ball, especially that secondary. And then on top of that, let's not forget that they got a guy that was mocked in the top 10 a lot, Angelo. They got Malik Willis. I mean, they have a legitimate quarterback competition. And we know how you and I feel. Good thing Ed's not here. Uh, <laughs> we know how we feel about Mr. Ryan Tannehill. And I, I, I love the fact that you at least got somebody in there. If there's a competition going on, I mean, I, in my opinion, that's how you get some of the best play out of a guy is throw them say, hey, your job's on the line. Go play the best football you've ever played. So if you're not banking on Willis to be the starter, you're potentially getting a, a much angrier and a much you know more driven Ryan Tannehill. 
And on top of that, another pick that I thought was... So but he's not his mentor. No, he's not. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. He's there to he's there to, to compete. That's just... That's funny. But a pickup that I thought that kind of went under the radar was them getting Hassan Haskins. Uh, you know, there's been the injury concerns with Derrick Henry. And when, you know, when he was injured last season... It was not good. It was not good. Well, don't say injuries concerns. Now, it, injury cons- concern. One injury yes. in his entire yes. life. Yes. But it was, we saw how much it affected the Tennessee Titans when that man went down. And if you're, if you know, this guy's going to every single year have 150 more carries than any back in the league. You, you got to make sure you have a real good backup. And I am a, uh, I'm not a Michigan fan by any means, but I'm a big Hassan Haskins fan. So uh, I, I love to see that backup go there. I think that's a phenomenal fit in Tennessee. Uh, it's like a smaller power guy, but I think, you know, for what Tennessee's trying to run, it's it's a perfect fit. And then you you, you get Kyle Phillips, who you know is not necessarily like a top tier wide receiver any by any means. But after you know after losing AJ Brown, after trading Corey Davis this last year, you you need some depth. So I thought getting Kyle Phillips from UCLA, underrated draft pick. I like what he brings to the table. Overall, I thought how they attacked the draft early on in the early round or up until like round four was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I think that if if they would have taken someone other than McCreary at the top of the second round, I, I would have pushed them into the top five. I had him at nine because of that pick, and that's how thin the margins are. But the Burks pick was great. Uh, Petit Friere is gives them the right tackle that they they have needed, so they can move uh, their second round pick from last year, the North Dakota State kid, to guard. Uh, Willis was a slam dunk. At, at I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. That's the reason why this draft did get that mega boost it did. Yep. Uh, Haskins is Derrick Henry. Like nobody's as big as Derrick Henry, but they got the biggest running back in this draft that was draftable in Haskins to kind of emulate that. And it does seem like Phillips will be their punt returner. Not like Chance Campbell. He, he was a linebacker at Maryland and he went over to, to Ole Miss and led their defense. He's very much your, your throwback. Like he's going to be like your Blake Martinez, eat a bunch of tackles up. So I, I liked their draft a lot. I did. All right, Angelo, who do you have for number six? My friend, I'm, I'm ready to get I just eaten con- alive. <laughs> I just continue to eat and eat and eat. And speaking of being eaten alive, don't go to zoos to, play with this team anymore you could have about a couple of years ago but the detroit lions i'm telling you the board is falling into five, my man. lap brendan bowling <laughs> the my... detroit lions i mean you should have known that a team with josh pascal wasn't yep. going to last very long <laughs> on my list you, you you should have had the foresight it's knowing about the teams that are drafting in front of you bowling you're going to learn this over time uh first of all Getting Aiden Hutchinson, who I, the more I listen to people, Aiden Hutchinson was consensusly the only blue chip like elite player. There are other blue chip players, but I mean like truly like elite players of this draft. When you listen to all the different podcasts and stuff, which further goes along with what I saw. He, I mean, I moved him above Charles Cross for God's sake. I thought he was that good. Okay, so it's that's just to see that you sit at two. And honestly, I'm surprised they didn't try to trade up into that spot. Uh, But to get Hutchinson is just an absolute slam dunk, home run, whatever other sports you've, what, hat trick, you know, like free free kick on a goal. I don't know, like cricket (laughs) terms. Like it was as good as it gets. But the, the pick that pushed this over the top for me, when the Lions jumped 
from 32 to 12, I was like, oh my goodness, they must have sold the farm to do this. Like, who is it for? And I was like, it's got to be Kyle Hamilton. And then I was like, oh, is it Malik Willis, like the quarterback, because they loved him? No. They actually get – and I, I don't want to be heresy, okay? I, I don't I don't want to, to, to make it sound like I'm not part of the cult of Kyle Hamilton. But you could argue Jamison Williams is a better fit because of how bad their receiving core is or was and how good – Jamison Williams, especially before the ACL tear. I mean, I've heard people not only say he's the best player in this draft, but say he's the closest thing to Tyreek since Tyreek. And from all reports, and I, I, I watched him. I thought he was fast, but I've read reports that he was 4-3-1 fast. Dude, all of that stuff screams to me like number one receiver. And they move up for a uh, for what we call a distressed asset. He was the fourth wide receiver off the board. And the Lions, all they had to do was swap first and seconds with the Vikings and give up their pick 66. Like, you've got to be joking me for that type of value. On top of it, they picked, I, I mean, like the, the player that I love the most in the draft just because of the, you know, watching him play at Kentucky. And the, he, look, it, Aiden Hutchinson's the pass rusher. Josh Paschal's the run defender. Don't get turned off by the 6'2 and 5'8s. He played 3-4 defensive end. At Kentucky at 268 pounds, Brendan. At 268 pounds, he played 3-4 defensive ends and would take 330-pound tackles at Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Florida, Georgia, and knock them into the backfield because he is the strongest player in this class, like at the defensive end position, at the pure defensive end. He, is, he was like that at Kentucky. He's going to be a great culture guy. He's a great defensive end on the field that's going to be a great run stopper while Aiden Hutchinson's able to pin his ears back and be that dominant force we saw at Michigan. And then, like, Kirby Joseph is the last one I'm going to talk about here. There, there are other picks, like James Mitchell, they say some good things about. But really, that Kirby Joseph pick, you get a guy that a lot of people say was one of the top three for like free cover one safeties that could just drop into the backfield on on passing downs and just patrol the middle of the field or a, or a, or a half a field. That's a, that's a fantastic draft. And even though they bulked up on defense big, which I respect, to get the Jamison Williams piece, the explosive wide receiver and the consensusly top-ranked guy at that point with all you had to with how little you had to give up you changed your offense in an instant while building the foundation of a great defense. I, I thought the Lions, I mean, it's how, how often do we say this? But I thought the Lions were uh, absolute, like, solid top five winners of this draft to me. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I kind of mentioned it on the, the last show that teams are saying that this Lions franchise is a different football team. This is not the Detroit Lions of the past. And the front office is showing that as well. So uh, I, I, I was blown away when they traded up to take Jamison Williams, but I loved the pick. I loved it so much. And now you can pair him with Amon Ross St. Brown to have a legitimate receiving core as well as land the best player of this draft. I mean, it, it was a blasphemy for me to not put them at my number five. Yeah, it was, but I'm, I'm, I love to have him as my number six. So keep, Hey, Brendan, Keep going, man. I want to get my next team. I still got a team of my – I still have a top five team on my board that I'm just yearning to get to at eight. So let's go. I'm not going to lie. I'm terrified to make this next pick because I don't want you to rip me, but I love it. (laughs) But one draft that I really – I actually really liked 
I, it's it, another team. You're well, that's scared. Really condescending. I actually really like. <laughs> yeah, you actually like. Hey, further <laughs> review. Was the New York Giants? Mm-hmm. Okay, but solid. Not my, not the team that I had that that I have next, but very. very but I respect this pick. Uh, so so continue. So finally, finally, the Giants. I thought they were able to hit their top ten pick, and not only one, but they hit on two. And I I truly believe that these were their two players of choice in Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. You and I, along with, you know, most of America is very high on Kayvon Thibodeau, as they should be. The ceiling mm-hmm. is, is I mean, it's to the heavens with this guy. Kayvon Thibodeau is one of my favorite players in this draft. And then Evan Neal, who is, you know, arguably, I know not, not to Angelo's taste, but is arguably the best tackle of that draft. So <laughs> to be able to get both of those guys in the top seven was unreal. And knowing their situation uh, with Mr. KT, Kadarius Tony. They went and drafted Angelo, your your man Wandell Robinson. Wandell! I love me some Wandell Robinson. I, I don't care what you say about his size. This dude's going to be a baller in the NFL. And they also, they've been struggling along the offensive line. Uh, they've done decent on kind of getting the tackles. But uh, to be able to get, um, to fix that interior of the defensive line. And then one pick that I actually really, <clears throat> excuse me. One pick that I thought was very underrated after getting rid of Evan Ingram was picking up San Diego State's tight end, uh, Daniel Bellinger. I, I, Not a player that I talked about much, but after they made the pick, uh, one of my great buddies is a huge, huge uh, Giants fan, so he told me to check this guy out. And I, this is a legitimate you know, starting NFL tight end, and they were able to get him at 112th overall. And then on top of that, they got a linebacker that I actually was a big fan of, Darian Beavers from Cincinnati. Uh, you know, a lot of Cincinnati players taken this year, and for good reason. So overall, I thought how the Giants were able to quell their early two picks is something that they have missed on on years and years and years in the past. To be able to finally get, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a top five player in this draft, and Evan Neal, who's a top, you know, 10 player in this draft potentially, is just phenomenal. And then to be able to get the shifty receiver uh, knowing that this receiving core is going to be in a little bit of a scare next year was a super smart move. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll agree with you on this one. I had I had the Giants. Uh, I think I had them seventh out of best drafts. And uh, could you imagine how high would there be a spot above one if they would have taken Cross at seven? I'm not sure, but uh, no, I thought I thought to get those two players at the top, you didn't screw around. You didn't play with the Jermaine Johnson. You didn't try to get cute with the trade down. You sat there and you said, who are the, like, Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, I think we're in the same class, and they were both in the top five in their recruiting class. Like, for me, that's huge. Like, okay, you identified, like, natural, gifted athletes. Again, planet theory. These are the guys to get. Wandale Robinson, this is always my thing. If you ever want to argue for Wandale Robinson, just say this sentence. He's not a small receiver. He's a receiver who happens to be small. I love that, dude. Because, (laughs) thank you, thank you. He's like, because you remember, you know who else was a small receiver? Steve Smith. But you know what we ended up calling him? A great receiver. We never called him small again because of how productive he was. So if he can play in that vein, you're really getting something. And then Cordell Flott was a little off the radar, but actually reading up about him, he might be someone that can do something there. I didn't have this draft any higher because I thought the, their later picks, like the third-round guard from North Carolina as a project, Flott was a little you know off boards. But I did like how they really got defensive reinforcements later in the rounds to back that up. So, yeah, 
That was a that was a good pick for you. Uh, but again, just playing this like a fiddle, just playing this draft like a fiddle, because I'm going to pick the Panthers. Ah, Dick, you're <laughs> killing me, man. You're. T- <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, man! You knew, like, you knew what you were going up against, son. Like, this is—I do—I do this for a living. Yes. We do the draft for a living. So, uh, by the way, I have got above. Uh, I like if it was one of those boards on, on my board where it's like value and it's like expected pick and which way it goes. I'm huge in the positive. I have had my my team has been ranked higher than my pick every time. So, let me explain why I have the Panthers here. I'm going to explain it in the sense of, here's the thing. People say that the Carolina Panthers did not have a second or third round pick this year. But no, no, my friend, they did. And this is why. First off, let's start at six. At what scenario did you or I have Ikemaquanu falling out of the top five? Um, In none. <laughs> none. There was not one scenario in which... We thought that the top offensive tackle, Cross was mine, but Aquanu was I graded as, you know, not Aiden Hutchinson elite, but in that next tier, like franchise like level offensive tackle. For him to be there at six and for them to take him, I'm not I like him so much I'm not even gonna penalize him for not picking Cross. I think Aquanu is awesome. Like he's going to be a multiple time Pro Bowl offensive tackle in this league. And it shored up the single biggest position need that almost any team has had in the league. Their left tackle spot, their pass rush protection, has been the worst position group in football, along with a couple others. Like, oh, my team's really bad at this. Okay, I get it. You know, Detroit receiving core, I get it. But he he feels he's going to step in right away and start and fill that need. It was a perfect, perfect pit of need and player. So in the second round, they took Sam Darnold. Now, a lot of people have mixed opinions about Sam Darnold. I think in the second round, see how I'm explaining this, Brendan, and how it's helping my draft out. But I think that in a draft class that was so short on real elite talent, to take a guy that had a couple of years of experience in the NFL already, still younger than, I think he's younger than Kenny Pickett still? No, probably not, but he's close in that they're probably around the same age. Sam Darnold is still a young prospect that now that you have a Quanu, that maybe you can protect him with a health, healthy Christian McCaffrey and all that good stuff. So I thought Sam Darnold in the second round was actually a good value for the Panthers. And you got a, got some play out of him last year. How about that? <laughs> uh, in the uh, Also, going in the third round, no, it's not the other quarterback they took. You know, rare that you see that, but, uh, you know, the Patriots do it. You know, some teams do it. Pittsburgh did it this year. But before that, the big thing people don't talk about, is that they stole C.J. Henderson from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because C.J. Henderson, to me, I didn't have him very highly ranked coming out, and I was like, ah, C.J. Henderson. I thought he had a tremendous rookie year. Like, as a rookie, I thought he played like a number one corner. Well, Urban Meyer comes in, and who would have thought? Like, why don't why don't we choose Urban Meyer, who's going to be out in four months, over our ninth overall pick cornerback just to get a third-round pick in return a year after seeing him what he could do and playing that well and spending the ninth overall pick on him. Jacksonville, you just keep rolling. You just keep rolling, baby, and you're doing it well. (laughs) On the other side, 
Not only did you just just draft J.C. Horn eighth, you get C.J. Henderson at ninth overall the year before for a third-round pick, and now the corners of your future went from a horrible spot to you might have the number one defense in the league for like three years running if everything breaks right. Like that was to to steal him away from Jacksonville was a was a crime. The NFL should have stopped Jacksonville <laughs> from doing it, but hey, Jags are going to Jags. So then they trade a third next year for Matt Corral, obviously with the with the ingest about Sam Darnold trying to defend like it, Matt Corral is a great project quarterback to bring in and see what he's got. And again, the rest of the draft Fine, Kalen Barnes is the fastest player in the draft. You know, like Matt Rule coached at uh, Baylor before uh, going to to Carolina. So obviously he recruited this kid and got him there and knows him. And when you have the fastest player, might have an elite returner. Same with Barno. He didn't recruit him, but four three six. They obviously at, like value speed. Very importantly, going back to Jeremy Chen, even J.C. Horn rated great 40. Like, they, they value speed on this defense. But overall, when other people just see Aquanu Corral and a bunch of other guys, I see Aquanu, Darnold, Henderson, Corral, Barno, Smith, Barnes. If any other, if this was any other team, because if they, because of when they got these players instead of now, they would be like, dang, that was an amazing haul. And I think that that's why I got him at five. And and Brendan, I after explaining it that way, I I, I really want to. There's a hotline number I can give you because <laughs> I am just I am just dog walking you in this draft, my brother. Hey, it's all good, man. I, I gotta give you some wins sometimes. <laughs> oh, there's a finally a clap back from from the host. I like it. Oh. All right, what is your what is your final and obviously you know like not as good as my pick? Oh yeah, I, I already know you're gonna rip me for this one because I feel like. This draft has gotten either absolutely crapped on or people are giving it its credit. Normally, this is one of my least favorite drafting teams in the NFL by a significant margin. But I just thought that with with where they're at in this football with this roster, they were able to fix a lot of holes and they got some of, you know, some of the best players available at the time. Angelo rip me, tear me apart, tell Ed, "Hey dude, we need to find a new host after this." But I'm going with the Seahawks. Yes. Okay. So you took this out. Okay. I'm going to let you explain it, but let me get like at the front. That was the team that when I was looking through these, I was like, the reason why I changed this from a three winners, three losers to this was because of them. I, now they are, they, I, I, I was hoping you would pick them. So I, cause I have a different team that I had just slightly ahead of them. I loved what the Seahawks did, but you explain okay sweet i'm glad i'm glad i'm glad i was just i was like you know i'm kind of on the trend where i feel like i could you, pick anybody did you think i was gonna tell anybody to fire you for picking a team that won that picked charles cross like do you know me do you know me yet no and and charles cross was you know if, if charles cross was not on this list he the, the seahawks would not be on this list so exactly to be able to get charles cross at nine steal absolute steal i mean these top three tackles legitimately should have all been gone by the top you know top five picks i really i really truly believe that's that's how it should have gone but to be able to get him at nine with how bad that tackle room is is huge it's huge and we know how much that seattle values these these physical specimens so it was no surprise that we're gonna they were gonna take uh boy mafe boy mafe is somebody that i you know, I don't dislike as a prospect. I think he kind of moved up the boards after having such a phenomenal pro day. 
tested out of the waters. I, I think he had some of the best testing for any edge rusher. So for him to go to Seattle, I know how much they love that fit. And the upside is absolutely there with Mafe. With the backfield, this is a backfield that is always injured. Chris Carson, uh, I, I love the player in Chris Carson, but he has a fumbling issue and he has uh, some injury history, as well as Richard Penny. Uh, Penny got drafted, what was it, three, four years ago, and I have really not seen much of him, like, at all. Well, last year, last year, he saved, literally at the end of his rookie contract, he saved his best for last. I think he had 680 yards in the last five games. Like, he okay. had, I think he might have had two 200-yard games to end the year, but it was like three and a half years of nothing. And then he was like, all right, time to turn it on. Right. So got to earn some money here. <laughs> well, good for Penny, but they picked up a guy. I know you're not as high on him because he is a little bit shorter and does not bring much as a pass catcher. But Kenneth Walker, who's one of the best pure running backs in this class, I think for the direction that I that Seattle's going to go is, you know, either Geno Smith or Mr. Drew Locke will be the starting quarterback next year. So I can't imagine they're going to be a pass first team. So uh, to be able to get a guy like Kenneth Walker, who I, I really do believe is the best pure running back in this class at 41 overall, fantastic pickup. Another pick that we kind of mentioned early on was Tariq Woolen. Absolutely disgusting athlete of a human being. If he landed, if he went anywhere other than Seattle, uh, I would have I would have had to call up Roger Goodell, be like, "Hey, man, this he doesn't belong anywhere else. He does not belong anywhere else." No, this is the spot, one hundred percent. And then they got one of the most underrated edge rushers in the entire class in Tyreek Smith. I thought he had a he was strong at the Senior Bowl, wasn't phenomenal, but kind of a little bit under the radar. But to be able to get him at one hundred and fifty eighth overall is fantastic. You get two edge rushers, and that's a position where you're, you know, very... Let's be honest, the Seahawks are thin pretty much across the board at this point. Uh, But to be able to get two edge rushers and one 158th overall, a Tyreek Smith, who I I thought, you know, was definitely worthy of like a top 115 pick. Uh, And then you get Bo Melton. I I don't know the situation with Tyler Lockett. I don't know how much longer he's going to be a Seattle Seahawk. I know DK is going to be locked down, but for the foreseeable future... But if at any point Tyler Lockett's going to be on the move soon, you still have a guy that can get you that deep ball. I mean, Bo Melton is not necessarily, you know, he, he may have some issues with drops. He maybe doesn't have the deepest route tree, but the dude's a speed burner, absolute speed burner. So to be able to get an aspect of that back onto your offense, uh, you know, with with um, with Tyler Lockett potentially on the move in a year or two, uh, I, I think that's great to get that out of the way. And then you got Lenore Ryan, wide receiver, Dere- uh, Derek Young, who is probably one of the more underrated prospects in this entire class. I mean, it's it's not very often that, you know, we're we're going crazy over Lenore Ryan football players, which is, you know, which is totally fine. But at 6'2", 220 pounds, he's almost like, like built like a mini DK. He's not nearly as big, but the dude is just a freak of nature. So uh, you want to look at the at a class that had absolute freaks of nature, Go look at the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, like, I love their draft. I thought especially with what they did, like, look, you had to trade Russell Wilson. He wanted out. You gave it up. Like, that. it's the pass now. They put in – what I just love is they got Cross and a guy that was rising in Abraham Lucas who is really, really big. You got your bookends. Like, that. that is pivotal. For a team, and a lot of people thought Lucas was a second rounder. So to get Cross, who's an elite left tackle prospect, and then you get Lucas on the other side, 
Like you got Boy Mafe, who's perfect for that pass rush role that they want. Uh, you've got you got Woolen, you got Bryant. Like you got these guys that that uh, you can just plug in, and then Walker to be a running back that that showed a lot at Michigan State. I mean, I just thought it was a completely like foundational laying draft, and you can only go so far. When, whenever some somebody like Russell Wilson wants out, and this I thought this was a fantastic way to to start that. But I really think, like you said, without Cross, you're not sure that you, you said it wouldn't be up there. Uh, I feel kind of the same way with just like the combination of Cross and Lucas, where it's like, oh, you got your bookends, we're rolling now. Oh, absolutely, and you know we made the joke that how bad that tackle room was, and to be able to get two guys that are going to be starting. Uh, it's, it's just huge. I, I love the fact that they're starting in the trenches. You know, they got two ends. They got two tackles. I, I love it. I love it. You, you have to be dominant in the trenches if you want to win football games. And knowing knowing Pete Carroll, you know, you got to get some dogs in there. And he did just that. I want to let you know that I got five out of my six top six teams as winners in this draft. In our in our winners draft, I mean, boy, the only team that you took that I didn't have in my top six was was or that I had in my top six was the Jets. I had Ravens, Eagle. I had Ra- I had Ravens one. I had Eagles two, Jets three, Lions four, Panthers five, and I had the Green Bay Packers six. I, I, see, I really wanted to do the Packers just, but I I, I couldn't do that to you. Even even though you've I'm been not crapping take- on me all day, I'm not gonna do that to you. Even though I've been crapping on, I'm not crapping on you. I'm just, I'm just enlightening you to the facts of your decisions. That's all. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, I love that's it. All. I love it. Okay, so uh, by the by the way, coming up here, and I'll explain it in a second. After our losers, that is going to be the end of our podcast. We had we had a little bit of a nugget that we wanted to throw in there, uh, but after this, we're doing losers and we're out. So stick with us for just a bit longer. I wanted to talk about Green Bay simply because. I finally turned around on the draft, and when you look at it from top to bottom, it's actually, as a whole, a really successful draft. I think a trend that you're seeing in the NFL is that teams will take three linemen per draft. They'll take three linemen per draft, often in the in the day three, like third round to day three. They'll take three of them. You'll keep the one that you like, and you'll just keep rotating these linemen in and out. It's that important. And I'll get to reason why that's important for the Packers in a second. Obviously, we start off with Quay Walker. I yelled an obscenity when it was picked. I'm still not completely in love with it. But I do think that there is a world where Quay Walker can become a pass rusher. And if that can kind of go along with also being just like a rangy linebacker and he kind of plays in front of him, I think that I'm more easily able to digest that, like emphasis on the pass rusher part. Devontae Wyatt, they needed a 3-4 defensive end, something fierce. Like They they did have like Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster there, but those aren't dudes. They're good. Like Lowry was pretty good, but they're just – they're just mainly dudes, and Devontae Wyatt is a is a real NFL football player. He could play more inside to like a pass rush role. I mean, some of the three four ends they prefer are these six six three hundred pound trees, but he's still six three uh, three hundred pounds, and he can still add weight. He's super quick. I think to be for the Packers to look for more of a disruptive end at that point, I I, I wanted him to be a Packer, and he was a Packer. I thought it worked out great. People could say they gave up a lot 
to move up into the second round to get Christian Watson. It took both 53 and 59 to do it. I don't care at all because it's what you get from your pick, not what you give up whenever it comes to the numbers in a draft because Christian Watson is worth more to this team than you know, a third tier receiver and a second tier linebacker. They needed a receiver and a prospect like Watson. Like, can he bust? Sure. Because he went to a small school. Sure. But he's 6'4", 38 and a half inch vertical, 4'3", 6'40". Like, he profiles athletically as a high-end elite number one receiver. And for, for me, as a Packers fan, I'll take that. Going on to the offensive line thing, Sean Ryan. Offensive tackle starter. Uh, Zach Tom, offensive tackle starter. Rasheed Walker, offensive tackle starter. All of these guys that they get, and this has always been a thing, smart NFL teams don't draft guards. They draft college teams' left tackles and move them to guard. Like, that's that's how smart teams draft, and that is what they did with Ryan, with Tom, and with Walker. All three were the left tackle. Walker might have been a right tackle. I'll have to double-check that. He No, he was three-year starter at left tackle. Yep, so that's what they did. So they got three left tackles at two major programs in UCLA and Penn State, and Wake Forest still being a very successful D1 program this year. Ryan will probably play right tackle for this team, or maybe Walker. Tom's going to kick inside, where at center he has the best athletic grade in the history of of combine scouting and all that according to uh kent lee platt at uh ras that was all a home run romeo dubs looks like a dub in the fourth mm-hmm. round love that pick ingabare for to for, he was a guy that we were mocking in the middle of the first round six months ago he fell to the last pick of the fifth round i'll take that i watched him beat darian Kennard up against South Carolina. I'm I am I am more than happy. And Sam Touré, watch Nebraska, I like him as a receiver. I, I really ended up liking what they did. And I think really it was everything after their first pick I thought were home runs, while Walker is the athlete that you have to develop. So I, I just thought they had a really good draft. And they and under the new regime, under Gutenkist, as, as much as I've hated like I hated the twenty twenty draft, even though it got us AJ Dillon, I hated the twenty twenty draft the Packers draft elite athletes these days, and it's turning out to be more successful than not. No, absolutely. I, I, After the first pick, I was like, I do not know what direction they are going to go with this draft. But it slowly grew into one of my favorite drafts in the entire, in the, in the entire NFL. The fact that you were able to get Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs just gives you two totally different wide receivers. You finally have shown Aaron, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, hey, we're going to get you somebody. Don't worry, buddy. We got you. And, you know, if you guys listen to this podcast, I was incredibly, incredibly high on Christian Watson. And the fact that he went to a team like the Packers, is it, he's going to flourish. I, I don't think there is many, be- many better landing spots than Green Bay for a guy like Christian Watson. And then to have a small shifty guy like Romeo Dubs there, is, it's you guys really really pulled it out on day two. I mean, I, I love the Devontae White pick. And honestly, with how you guys attack the rest of the draft, I don't dislike the Quay Walker pick at all at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll live with it. It's a development pick. Yeah. It's a development but, pick. So so to recap for everybody here, our drafts, Brendan with his, these are the five teams that he picked on his team of winners of the draft. The New York Jets, the Kansas City Chiefs, Tennessee Titans, New York Giants, 
Seattle Seahawks. That's pretty strong. <clears throat> and Angelo Carriero at Angelo Media Lex, draft a aficionado and guru, uh, picked the Baltimore Ravens, Philadelphia Eagles, Detroit Lions, the Carolina Panthers, and the Tidal Town Green <laughs> Bay Packers. Babe, I'll tell you what. I, I think they're even, but one sounded a lot cooler. Than they, I don't know, man. Like, I'll, Let's leave it up to the people. Let's see what they think. Uh, yeah, I, I would have to agree with you that one of those sounded a little bit cooler. I, I, will... <laughs> yeah, I, I love the picks, though, Angelo. I really did. No, I, I, I like that. The Chiefs one I also liked. I know it gave you a hard time, but it was more or less that I just – I was – I love what they did. It's just the Tyreek thing. I think lingered a little longer than I wanted. But yeah, all all of yours, all of yours were great. Um, lastly, if you don't mind, if I if I steer it for just a second, just with the, I don't want to end on too sour of a note. So I'm only gonna like do like one or two losers. It could be someone. I, I have two losers. Okay, that's. I'll just get them out of the way. Yeah, that's fine with me. I'll give you my biggest. I have a single biggest loser of the draft. Okay, I'll do two, and then I'll you can do one, and we'll wrap it Sounds up. Sounds good. Really. Uh, Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. I have as a loser because as great as the Ravens draft was, he's got to be looking at a wide receiver room like Will Smith and the Fresh Prince of <laughs> Bel-Air when they move out. He's just staring around, and there's no furniture, no people, no TV, no nothing. Like, oh Rashad God. Bateman's fine. Like, you know, uh, uh, Dev, I like Duvernay, uh, Duvernay, but he hasn't been, like, lighting the world on fire. So you're sitting here. And if you're Lamar Jackson, you just lost a guy that was from the same area of Florida that you were, that you seem to be real good buddies with, and now you have no receivers. So it's like, yeah, my offensive line's cool. The defense is cool. It's almost like watching, like going to your friend's like rich house, and it's like these are your friends and everything, but you don't have a dollar. It's kind of like, well, this kind of it's cool to be here, but it sucks at the same time. Like that's kind of what Lamar's looking at right now. I can't. I can't imagine how he's feeling. Like they're, they're going to have to make a DK level trade or or sign both Julio and there's another veteran receiver I can't remember at the moment. But like sign all the veterans. Jarvis Landry's still out there. Landry, yep. that's it. But I have to sign both of them, man. Like it's it's crazy up in here. It's, I mean, and and uh, Lamar voiced his frustrations on Twitter. I mean, the second that Hollywood Brown was trade, he he uh, tweeted out the very angry uh, angry face emoji. So. That's enough to let you know that if your starting quarterback is making tweets after you guys make a trade, it's probably not too happy about it. By the by the way, just so you know, I, that was corrected. It was after they made the Linderbaum pick. So oh. he chilled out until they picked Linderbaum. And when they didn't pick a receiver, so he was watching the yeah, draft. Like, like, he very much cared about what was about to happen next. Instead, Okay, interesting, interesting. And uh, my second loser, and this is just to wrap up the loser. There, there are some drafts that that weren't great, but uh, the the big the other losers, Nicobe Dean. I mean, for him to decide like not to have surgery or whatever medical issue that he had, the dude parlayed like he was a five star prospect, went to an elite defensive university. He had the season of his life last year and he would have been a first round i truly believe if he was healthy he would have been a first rounder but for his decision not to get surgery on his shoulder or whatever rumor came out and his medicals like there's some rumors that he's going to redshirt next year wow 
that he was that hurt. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying this is what I've read. And if that's the case, I can't imagine when you're about when you declare for the draft and know you're about to cash out, why make all of the medical decisions to make that to turn that not into the reality that you could have had? I just feel bad for him, man. Like that for, for what he did to what what he got. Like he has a chance with Philadelphia because they need linebackers so bad to be an absolute superstar and get a huge second contract. But to not get it up front because of some medical decisions you made, man, I, it's just that's unfortunate. No, absolutely. I always hate to see when stuff like that happens. And, you know, w- watching the day one of the draft, and we, we kind of suspected something was going on. Even going into day two, uh, when, when you know, it was day two, uh, the, the second round, we were like, okay, where's N'Kobe Dean? And that's when we were really like, okay, there's got to be something going on with this. And it, it's truly unfortunate that it had to come due to medical reasons. That's always like... That's that's just the worst part about football. End of story. That's the worst part about football. Great. But Angelo, my biggest single biggest loser of the NFL draft. This is going to surprise you, but at the same time I don't think it will. It's Baker Mayfield. Angelo, it's Baker Mayfield. Oh, yeah. He if he was not getting traded on draft night, Baker Mayfield's getting cut. He's getting released. It, it, no team is going to trade for him at this point. They understand the situation. Why, if they want Baker on the roster, okay, why would we have to trade for him? We know he's not going to be. He's, he's got to get released eventually, right? So he was. There was a report that the Panthers were all in. They were all in to trade for Baker Mayfield, but it just so happened to work out perfectly for them to get Matt Corral. And with that move, Baker Mayfield's you know future is an even more question than it's ever been. That man went from being the hero of Cleveland, the star, the, I mean, the greatest thing that the Browns fan have, have you know, <laughs> had in my entire life. And just now is hidden under a rock, swept under the rug. There's no risk. Like, I mean, even the fan base is ripping him for no reason. The dude went from being the hero of Cleveland to one of the most hated men in Ohio, which just, it's it's mind-boggling to me. So for what Baker has done for the organization, him playing through all the injuries last year, and now he's basically out of a job, it, that's you got that's got to be the biggest loser to me, to me. To go from such a high to such a low from, by, by putting your team on your back, and that's what you get for it, that's the biggest loser to me, and it's unfortunate to say, but I really thought that him getting traded to Carolina was was really that that main segue for him to get his you know his starting role back into the NFL. At this point, I don't Baker Mayfield doesn't know what's going to happen to him. I don't know what's going to happen to him. Cleveland doesn't like. I feel bad for the dude, man. I feel so bad for the dude. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what exactly where they'll go. I'm actually a little surprised that now that you've talked about this, that they didn't draft a quarterback. Since if they're gonna cut Bayfield and they're gonna be without Watson, it's like Brissett and I guess Dobbs. But like, it feels like that that could have been like an easy way to you know, even if you got Hal, like someone that good, still. It seems like that it, it would have made sense to get someone like that to be the backup with the uncertainty that is. Deshaun Watson, but hey, they know what they're doing. You know, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, he. I, I'll say this: there are two things, two reasons why I disagree just a tad, and uh, don't hate me for no, it. That's fine by me. Uh, number one, at least if he gets cut, he gets to choose where he mm-hmm. goes. And secondly, if he didn't get traded during the draft, I 
feel as if there's a big injury that wherever he gets traded to, if the Browns hold on long enough, a quarterback X tears their ACL, they need a quarterback, and they go to Cleveland mm-hmm. with, you know, whatever, then he goes into a position, though late, he can start. And I think that's really what he wants to do. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like that's, if he would have gotten traded in the draft, it almost would have been the worst thing. Like Josh Rosen going to Miami. Look how that worked out. No, like that type. Of sorry, thing. I don't mean to interrupt. But actually, no, I'm glad that you mentioned that because that makes me look at it a little bit differently because at that point, then, okay, maybe if he's still on the roster, we get value out of it even. So I, I actually, I get where you're coming from, Angelo, and I appreciate you kind of making me think about it differently. That's all good. But like you said, I've loved what you've done today. You had a bunch of good thoughts. Now, you know, we're going to have to work on on positional value (laughs) in terms of drafting and, you know, like quarterback, you know, destinations and all, you know, all that stuff, you know. But, hey, you are you are my Tariq Woolen, Brendan, you know, like there's there's a lot of a lot of molding being left done. But, man, could we get a player? So I I thought I thought you performed well at your combine i'm just messing with you man thanks for everything you did a great job steering the ship thank you my friend angelo it's always a blast i have such a good time on this show with you my man and uh (laughs) i i I think everybody tuning in all of our fans they they are incredibly grateful for you as well you've brought a a level of personality to the show that that we you know we really truly appreciate angelo I, I appreciate you and saying for our fans, like our, you know, just like Triple H and DX for the thousands of fans in attendance and the millions watching at home. Like, it's oh like, oh my the, gosh, the, dude, dude see, every, every day you do something that just is like, man, this was such a good pickup. A DX reference? You gotta be joking. Man. Yes, man. Let's oh. get ready to draft it. <laughs> like, let's go. I love it, you guys. Yeah, I, I had such a fantastic time on this show, Angelo. I you killed it with your picks, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, when we're talking about the winners and losers of the uh, divisions, we can get into some more battles there. But there we go. I, I there we it. go. Thank you so much, you guys, and everybody tuning into this episode of Blitzcast. We truly appreciate you, week in and week out. Uh, we'll, we'll be back next week, and like we just mentioned, we're going to be covering the draft a little bit still for for the next few weeks. But don't worry, we'll have some of that 2023 content coming out here here relatively soon. But once again, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Blitzcast and y'all take care.